This Dharma Talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson, at zenchicago.org. So, good evening once again. It's good to see everybody who's braved the torrential rain in Chicago. Over the past few weeks, some people have joined us for meditation uh, recently. And so I wanted to give a talk tonight that would help to orient us to our core practice, which of course is Zazen. It's a little daunting to do that because of course, that talk has already been given by all the Buddhas and ancestors. <laughs> but maybe the reverb will help. <laughs> At any rate, I hope I don't have anything new to say. Also, I've been thinking about aspects of our practice that might need some explication. Like, why do we chant the Heart Sutra so often? Nearly every meaning we have. Of course, we're not the only ones who do that. The Heart Sutra is chanted daily in Zen temples throughout the world. I participated in a say ceremony in, the, in both of the head temples in Japan. And uh, the monks chanted the Heart Sutra in both of them. Of all of Buddha's teachings, Zen maybe leans toward the teaching of dependent co-arising, or sometimes we call it emptiness. Of course, this is the topic of the Heart Sutra. But at its core, Zen is only itself because of Zazen. So I want to raise the question, what does the Heart Sutra have to do with our practice of Zazen? I think one reason we have such affinity for the Heart Sutra is that it's actually giving us instruction in Zazen. The Heart Sutra is about Zazen. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. The correspondence of wisdom and meditation is very fundamental teaching. We can trace it back at least as far as Wenong, our root teacher in eighth century China. And he said, never under any circumstances say mistakenly that meditation and wisdom are different. They are a unity, not two things. Meditation itself is the substance of wisdom. And wisdom itself is the function of meditation. At the very moment when there is wisdom, then meditation exists in wisdom. At the very moment when there is meditation, then wisdom exists in meditation. Good friends, this means that meditation and wisdom are alike. 
Of course, we know in our zazen that we are said to open the hand of thought, to practice, you know, letting go of anything that arises in zazen, not attaching to anything, not pushing anything away, just to open the hand of thought and let it pass through. And this is actually what the Heart Sutra advocates. It advocates the practice of no. It's not that we're pushing anything away. In fact, it's just the opposite. We are open to each experience. But the only way we can do that, the only way we can be open to each experience is to let go of every experience, to let go of our prejudices, our concerns, our expectations, our likes and dislikes. Just be here. Then just ask, what is it that's right here? That's actually a difficult question because things don't exist in the static way that we think they do. And Zen shows us this. It's an essential element of the Zen worldview and Zen training. Our motto should be, look again, it's already changed. And we know in our zazen, in our lives, we should stop clinging to the previous moment so that we can open up to the next one. Suzuki Roshi talked about how when lightning comes, it is revealed very dramatically by the night sky. It's amazing. But the night sky can only show us the lightning because as soon as it happens, it lets it go. The night sky does not cling to the light at all. And so we can see the next flash of lightning. Past weekend, uh, I was in the country. And there must have been a distant thunderstorm. It was odd because we couldn't hear any thunder and we couldn't see the zigzagging of flashes of lightning. But the whole sky towards the north, the whole sky repeatedly flashed into brightness, totally silently. No rain, no lightning, no thunder. The sky brightened up and the clouds would be illuminated in flashes and then they would flicker in and out of existence and they would eventually disappear into the night sky. It was so eerie. It was like having the effect without the cause, lightning without thunder. And I had to question myself, is this really lightning? Could it be something else? Because it didn't conform to my idea about lightning. It had to be lightning, but it was so continuous, so violent, 
so silent. The world had brought me to just the right place. And I asked myself, can this really be reduced to the name and the story that I have for it? This anomalous experience, experience forced me to abandon my name for it, to doubt my story about it. It was awe-inspiring. It was even a little terrifying. Terrifying to be exposed to something so powerful and something so unusual. It was a little terrifying to have my concepts that I've known since I was a little boy destroyed by the true vastness of reality. And I thought, what if we did this with all of our experience? What if we were to let go of every story we ever told and just be receptive enough to meet the universe as it actually is, moment after moment? This is how we would practice the no of the Heart Sutra. It's the letting go in Zazen. You know, in the Heart Sutra, we chant, you know, no eyes, no ears, etc. No, no form, no feelings. It doesn't mean that eyes, ears, form, feelings disappear and aren't there anymore. It doesn't mean that we cease to see them or hear them. It just means that we let go of our stories about them. When we're guided by the Heart Sutra, our conventional thing-based way of organizing the universe ceases. It's not that there's nothing there. There are events. Eyes would be a momentary event. The realm of eyes, the visual world, is a momentary event. This is not the way we usually think. But our meditation is not the practice of conventional thinking. You may think, but wait, my eye isn't changing. It's not appearing and disappearing. But actually, your eye is changing. What's not changing is your concept of eye. And all the no's of the Heart Sutra are taught to help us let go of our ideas and our stories, even our ideas that come from Buddha's teaching. In that section of the Heart Sutra, we're, we're saying, know this, know that, you know, we go through some of the major teachings of early Buddhism. You might recognize it when we come to the part that goes, no suffering, no origination, no stopping, no path. Those are the Four Noble Truths. And all of the groups of things are important teachings of the Buddha. And Heart, Heart Sutra says we should even drop those ideas. 
And it's important we drop those ideas because otherwise we may believe that what we see and hear is actually unchanging. And that's not the point. Uh, we were reading on Wednesday in our study group that the great Chinese teacher Rinzai had a teaching about the miraculous powers of the Buddha. And he said, Buddha's miraculous power was to be free of form when he enters the world of form, to be free of feelings when he enters the world of feelings. And this is what we do moment after moment in Zazen. Now, as we know, the Heart Sutra is taught by the Bodhisattva of Compassion, Avalokiteshvara. In Sanskrit, it means uh, the one who hears the cries of the world. Let me just pause on the idea of a Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva is an archetype. The, the Sanskrit Bodhisattva means awakening being. The Bodhisattva holds back, sutras say, from entering nirvana, from holds back from um, getting past all of his suffering that comes with being a mortal person in the world. He holds back until all others entered nirvana. And so the Bodhisattva engages in an unceasing process of trying to relieve ignorance and suffering. And Bodhisattvas have their specialties. Avalokiteshvara's specialty is compassion. And this bodhisattva archetype finds its expression in all of us. When you act compassionately, you participate in the bodhisattva of compassion. When we look at the enormous suffering on Maui these days, we might pick out whatever aspect we can and then extend to it, we might decide to make a donation. We found a charity in Maui, the uh, Maui Humane Society, that was is taking care of the pets who you know, lost their homes, were injured, lost their families in the fire. To address our own suffering, we might come to a, a Zen community or listen to a Dharma talk. Or we might mindfully eat some chocolate or drink some tea. These are the activities of the Bodhisattva of compassion to relieve suffering with whatever tool is available. 
And this is the Bodhisattva that teaches the Heart Sutra. So this Bodhisattva must have thought that this, uh, this teaching would relieve our suffering. When we say this Bodhisattva's name in Japanese, it's Kanji Zai. Kan means to perceive. Jizai means free from self-preoccupation. To perceive without self-preoccupation. And this refers to the deepest meditation that we can do. The meditation in which we're able to relinquish all of our, uh, you know, confusion and selfishness. And where we can see the world as it actually is, we could see the world. In other words, the Heart Sutra is what comes from practicing Zazen. It's what Kanji Zai Bodhisattva learned once his meditation showed him what it was like to be free from self-preoccupation. And so Kanji Zai in the Sutra is teaching emptiness. Emptiness is not a theory, it's not a philosophy, it's a practice. Emptiness is the practice of not holding on to anything. We say emptiness means that we appreciate that everything is empty of self. So emptiness is the practice of not making a self out of anything. It's pretty hard to do. You have a lifetime of making a self out of everything. And mostly what we can do is approximate this by letting go every time we try to make a self out of something. Kanji Zai Bodhisattva teaches that if we really open the hand of thought in response to everything that arises, there will be no suffering. Kanji Zai perceived that the self is kind of a misunderstanding. He perceived that everything we encountered was just an event, transient, appearing and disappearing. He perceived that everything that we encountered was a, an infinitely complex event in which the whole universe participated. So when we meet an apple, we encounter much more than a single isolated thing. We meet the causes and conditions that shape the apple. Sutra tells us form, is actually the apple is so much more than what we isolate in the idea of apple. It's sunlight and earth and rain, and apple trees and pollinators 
than farmers. Apple is a certain narrow range of temperatures, a specific climate and ecosystem. What we call the individual, the apple, is actually showing us the whole. The concrete thing shows us the processes that it carry on, carries on, the processes that go beyond any so-called individual self. When I eat the apple, its form, nature, vanishes, but its process nature continues unabated. It becomes eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. And when we look at eyes or ears or nose, we should recognize not just eyes, but apples. My friends, Josh and Chrissy had a baby just a week ago. Yeah, a little more. His name is Arlo. And they probably call this baby by the same name every day without recognizing that every day the baby is different than the day before. But you know, we just gloss over that. Arlo is Arlo is Arlo. Mary reminded me recently that a baby is completely a baby, by which we mean it is not a baby. We mean baby is constantly and magically changing moment by my moment, my moment. It has no enduring being. In fact, that process nature of babies is baked into our concept of baby. We know baby has no enduring self because baby will be child, will be adult. It may be form, but its form is empty. It's constantly flowing. It may have a name, but that name signifies something that is actually different from moment to moment. That's what we mean when we say baby. We mean that that which is form is actually emptiness. And that which is constantly changing manifests in each moment as form. This is what the Heart Sutra teaches us. Baby is form that has no self. Thank goodness, because then it can grow up. So I just want to say that this practice of wisdom is actually Zazen. It's our practice of perceiving the self and noticing that it's really empty. It's our practice of recognizing that self is more a concept than a feature of reality. 
In Zazen, we have this very vivid teaching of the impermanence of every experience. All we have to do is pay attention. All we have to do when something comes up is to let go and see how it naturally vanishes. We shouldn't get caught up in any mystical idea of emptiness as if it's something that we have to strive to experience. Sometimes this happens in Zen. We start to think, oh, I wish I could experience emptiness. There's no striving because emptiness is right here. Form is exactly emptiness. All we have to do to see it is get beyond our concepts of form. And in Zazen, we're not striving for any special mystical experiences. We're just trying to see things as they are. The path to wisdom depends on not getting bogged down in what we think we know. No form means that we let go of our ideas, our ideas when they arise. Maybe you know the story of the monk who came to the Zen teacher and said um, that he wanted to learn Zen. He'd been studying, but you know, he didn't understand it. He wanted to learn it. So the teacher invites him in for tea. And he pours the tea. And when he pours the monk's tea, he keeps pouring until the cup overflows. The student says, stop, the cup is full. And the teacher says, exactly. Before you can learn Zen, you have to empty the cup. And the Heart Sutra says that there's nothing to attain. And this sets the tone for our Zazen. Just this is it. Our Zazen is not to strive for anything. Our wisdom is the wisdom of being accepting of what is right here. So I've tried to point out this evening some of the correspondences between the Heart Sutra and the flow of our Zazen. I'm hoping that next time we chant the Heart Sutra, you'll hear it as encouragement to really penetrate your Zazen, to practice it deeply, just like the Avalokiteshvara did, and to see what reveals itself when you open the hand of thought.